Now that the summer vacations are upon us, <laughs> I am fully aware that I will be spending a lot more time with my kids than I usually do when they're most of the day off at school and kindergarten. I mean, a lot more time. <laughs> and that's lovely and awesome, really, but what that means is that I will also be doing a lot of thinking about, a lot of reflecting about me as a father. And honestly, I'm not sure how much I'm looking forward to that particular part of the deal. Kids can be a bit like magnifying mirrors of ourselves. And it can be a bit terrifying sometimes. The parenting, of, the parenting job of nurturing your children and helping them learn how to deal with themselves and their emotions and with the world around while at the same time keeping them safe enough so that they can keep on doing this throughout their lives. It's a daunting task. And then there's the fact that in order to do that, you are constantly having to exert authority in the sense that you are responsible for guiding and for setting limits and for calling attention to behavior that is dangerous, to stuff that hurts, and so on and so forth. Like, don't run into the street where cars are moving. They're bigger than you. You're often having to exert authority. And we can choose, you know, and it's difficult because kids don't always just willingly accept that authority. I don't know if you noticed. They don't often just go along, right? They question it all the time. They question it through the way they reinterpret your directions to say, you know, I'm actually doing what I want, right? They reinterpret your directions or just understand it differently because their world, their conceptual world is very different or because there are just plain unwilling to comply, and sometimes they will even just say that to your face. No, I'm not doing it. And we can choose to harden up when they do that, right? To harden up and just exert ourselves harder, and we often do, sometimes out of, I don't know, safety reasons or whatever, but it's a very risky to keep going down that road. Yeah it very easily leads to a lack of understanding and of conversation and any meaningful depth between parents and children. It often leads to conflict, and eventually it can even lead to different forms of abuse. And I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to go down that road. So I need to constantly examine myself and how I play out my role as a parent. And that's tough because it means I'm constantly having to face my own shortcomings and failures and, and how I deal with them, I see myself, and it ain't always pretty. It's, they're like little truth-telling mirrors. But still, I need to listen, right? I need to see. Because that mirror shows how, easily it is, how easy it is for us to get authority wrong. And... I love my kids too much to sleep on that job. Now, you may wonder at first why I have brought up all this stuff about kids and if this is going to be a speech about parenting or something. Not really. 
not really. This, this is about all of us. This is about all of us, about me and you, whether you have kids or not, whether you are a kid or not. Uh, and if you keep in mind what I have said about exerting authority and power, you may very well see it before I even point it. But first, let's hear the psalm. And as you may have guessed, it's Psalm 8. And I want to invite you to, to listen to it. To David, maybe don't put, it, don't put it on the screen. Let's just hear it. Uh, I think that's a good exercise for us. The psalms are, are a piece of oral poetry. And there's something about reading that makes, engages a certain part of our brain. And sometimes we need to just listen. So I want to read it for you. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the work of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So this is, uh, as I said, it's Psalm 8 in, in our Bibles. And it's one of the psalms that is marked as a psalm of David, right? A psalm of David. It speaks of the majesty and the glory uh, of God and the wonder of the natural world that God created. And it speaks also of the unique position, the unique role of human beings in the world. And that's where it gets tricky. You have made them a little lower than the angels, or depending on how you translate this, a little lower than God, and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. What does this ruling mean? What does it mean to exert authority? In the wider context of the scriptures, there is an obvious connection from this psalm to the creation narrative of Genesis. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The language of the psalm and of the Genesis narrative are, of course, very similar. They both speak of human beings as being particularly 
similar to God in a way in their making, and they speak of this ruling role and, one could argue, authority given to humankind. Now, one way of interpreting this is to argue that this authority can be and is to be exerted to its full extent. That this is a mandate that gives mankind not just the capacity, but the right and the prerogative to subjugate the natural order and everything within it. There's also an interesting aspect here that has to do again with language and translation, because in an alternative translation of verse 4 and 5 could be, what is a human being that you are mindful of him? A son of man that you care for him. You have made him a little longer Lord and God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. Now, in the context of the Psalms, this translation is relevant. This issue of translation is relevant because this is, again, marked as a Psalm of David. This means that, this can mean that this Psalm was written by David himself, or it can mean that it was written under David in the court of David in some way, right, under his reign. And this begs the question in terms of a biblical interpretation, it begs the question if the psalm is really speaking of the ruling role of all mankind or if it's talking specifically about the king. And it may very well be doing both because the king was at the same time the one with the authority over the people and a representative for the people, a sort of an archetype for the people. And that's especially relevant with this King David. But either way, the figure of the king brings to the table the manner in which this rule over the natural order is somehow understood to include also rule over fellow human beings. And we can perhaps argue that if that is part of the mandate or not, but it seems in any case to be part of the same capacity as one just under God. So, given that we have that capacity and that we have been commanded by God himself to exert it, we should do it so to its full extent. And if we meet resistance from the natural world or from fellow human beings, we should just buckle up, push harder because this is our birthright and God-given role, right? No, no, that's, that's not how we are to rule the world, just categorically. No, that's not how we are to rule the world. This is how we destroy it. This is how we destroy it. This is how we destroy each other and destroy ourselves. Sadly, this has been seen as a valid interpretation very often in history, and It's an understanding that is still held on to with clenched fists by some today. To to quote Spider-Man's Uncle Ben, right? With great power comes great responsibility and a great ability to mess things up. But this interpretation, it rips apart the theological and the poetical context of Psalm 8 and of the Genesis narrative. And it does so out of a desire to cling to power and not out of a desire of being faithful to God or righteous or for the benefit of the created order. If we look at Psalm 8, it's important to ask, what is framing it? If you look at the poetical structure of Psalm 8, what is framing it? 
What is framing what? What is the poetical and the theological flow and construction of this psalm? It begins and ends with the majesty of God's name in all the earth. So God is the beginning and the end, and whatever happens in between that beginning and the end is to be, is to be faithful to that statement and towards that statement. And that's how the theological and the poetical flow of the psalm goes. So the psalmist then, in, within this frame, sets the stage for the claim of humankind's unique place and role in creation, but he does that by exposing just how unlikely it is that we should have such a role. He established how insignificant we should be in the grand context of the created order so that when he does declare the privilege we are given, it is clear that it is a privilege given. A privilege given. It is a gift and a result of God's will and grace. The image of the praise of children and infants as a stronghold further emphasizes God's choice for that which is apparently weak and small. We are like the children and infants that God chooses as stronghold. And in a, in a similar way, the narrative, Genesis, or the, the, the narrative of Genesis firmly establishes the creative power of God and the beauty and goodness of, of creation and it is into that context that humans then are created inherently dependent on God and on each other and called to play a special role, not despite that dependency, but within it. Within it. And I don't believe... Therefore, I don't believe that these stories give us permission for the abusive understanding of authority and power that so often they have been used to justify. And as a Christian, as one who brings this psalm to my lips with Christ in my heart, I have further reasons to refusing to understand a God-given power as an excuse for abusive power. Because Jesus himself not only operated on a different paradigm of power, but he called these very texts into his ministry with an understanding that favored mercy and that favored the weak and that clashed head on with the powers that, that be that abuse authority. In Matthew 21, we see Jesus claiming Psalm 8 for himself. And the context in which he does this is all about power. He has just ridden into Jerusalem, mounted on a donkey. And he has been hailed as king with shouts of Hosanna to the son of David. But instead of sitting on a throne and shouting out orders and killing off the Romans... What Jesus does is he heads to the temple and he overturns the tables of the money changers and he drives out the people buying and selling animals for the sacrifices. And the message is very clear. He is openly going against a system through which a minority of religious and politically privileged people abuse their rights over the temple to extort and abuse the less privileged and restricted access 
to certain people. And then, what does he do? He spends time healing the lame and the blind. The lowly beggars of the temple doors. And as the children who are soaked in the excitement of the day, right? Soaked in that excitement, uh, they start running around and shouting around the temple. The, the chief priests are upset, right? And they say, do you hear what these children are saying? They ask Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear them. They are God's stronghold. And he quotes Psalm 8, from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. Jesus, who liked to call himself the Son of Man, in the telling of Matthew, that's his, the title often for himself. Jesus, who is welcomed into Jerusalem as the Son of David, refuses to wield power and authority like a weapon of privilege and is in fact crucified by those who do so. But Jesus shows us what it means to rule over the work of God's hands with faithfulness to God's character and to the beauty of his creation. As human beings, our potential is enormous. Enormous. Our capacity is extraordinary. And it is I believe undeniable that we have a unique role. But unless we listen to the children, unless we invite the lame and the broken into the temple, unless we understand that we are not above the created order, but just a gracefully privileged, chosen part of it. Unless we understand that, we will continue to abuse the power that was given us. And we will destroy each other and the world we were called to care for. And it may be painful and difficult to really look at why the natural world and our fellow human beings react in certain ways because of our presence and the ways in which we exert our power. It may be painful to look at those magnifying mirrors of our own shortcomings. But if there's anything that we learn with Christ, it is that God loves the world too much for us to sleep on the job. We need to learn to love each other and love the world too much for us to let this go. This is the time of awaking to the dawn of Jesus Christ. Let him be the one who shapes how we are in the world and who shapes how we exert these extremely challenging roles of parent, of teacher, 
politician, of neighbor, co-worker, of living in one of the wealthiest places in the world. We could go on, right? How do we do that? We keep on coming to Christ. We keep on stumbling and we keep on getting up, holding the hand of grace. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you into the reality of your life, of your hopes, and of your fears. And may he bring you peace. So go in the peace of the Lord and serve the world and serve the Lord joyfully.